Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is there really such a thing as reincarnation? Are we really all one super being? What does this do to the notion of individuality? Hey there, and welcome to the 526th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And I I am Ben, and my co-host is over here on my right, my dad. And those high-flying questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, and that is this man over here, my dad. So this evening, we welcome you uh, with a new guest. It was an interesting approach to this subject of reincarnation. And we do welcome your calls this evening. It's uh, 401-766-1240, and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. Joanne DiMaggio is a graduate of the University of Illinois and a writer with a background in marketing and public relations. She worked in the Chicago media market for many years until moving to Charlottesville, Virginia, she has had hundreds of articles in newspapers and magazines and has been actively involved with Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment, or ARE, since 1987. Joanne earned her master's in transpersonal studies and her spiritual mentor certification through Atlantic University in Virginia in May 2010. And that is, for those of you who are wondering, and many of ours do, that is an accredited institution for distance learning. Joanne is also a, no, a certified hypnotherapist and has pursued reincarnation studies for over 25 years. She is the author of Charlottesville, a Contemporary Portrait, 2002, Soul Writing, Con- Conversing with Your Higher Self, 2011, and the sequel to that book, Your Soul Remembers, Accessing Your Personal Lives, I'm, I'm sorry, Accessing Your Past Lives Through Soul Writing, that was published in last September. Her website is joannedimaggio.com. I will spell that. J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O dot com. So, Joanne DiMaggio, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Oh, and it's uh, great to have you. So let's uh, start off from the beginning, where things like to start. Uh, everybody throws around the word soul, as if everybody uh, just understands it. Uh, but some people just don't know what it means. So what do you mean by the soul? Well, I guess I define soul as being the essence of your being. It is the um, the one aspect of you that uh, is the spark from uh, a higher power uh, and that it continues to live on uh, after your body has died and takes on a new body and continues with the work that you've chosen to do on this side of the uh, of the veil. Alrighty, so what is soul writing? Soul writing is the uh, term that I came up with to describe what Edgar Casey called inspirational writing. Uh, and it is basically a written form of meditation. So it's, um, it's a form of channeling. It accesses information through writing from a higher source that emanates from your soul. And it just gives you a more profound perspective and a, a deeper knowing of why. Uh, and I like to think of it internal GPS guiding you back home. So what do you mean by past lives? Past lives are the lifetimes that you've lived prior to this one. Uh, I don't really know how else to define it other than uh, we have all had multiple lifetimes since we were created. We all, all souls came about at the same time and uh, wanted to learn what, what life was like on, uh, in the physical plane because we're all spiritual beings inhabiting a, a physical body. 
Uh, and so in order to learn all the lessons and have all the experiences available to us uh, and on this plane of existence, we have uh, returned time and time again in order to uh, ex- have that experience. Well, why? <laughs> I mean, if if the the, the question that's that um, you you mentioned something that the 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 soul brought itself and made itself physical, is is that what I'm is that what I'm picking up here? Right. Um, that's not really what the book is about. We don't really get into that that aspect of it of, of reincarnation or creation, the co-creation story. But souls are um, immortal. And they are that spark of God. Uh, they are what makes us who we are. And um, there isn't a physical a, a dimension to them. You can't really see it. It's just a part of who you are. And that part of you lives on. And one of the interesting things in the research project that I did, uh, when I did take people to their death scene uh, in their previous lifetime, and I asked them, uh, you know, what are you thinking as your soul leaves your body? And so they experienced that separation of spirit from the physical. And uh, always they had something to say about a regret that they may have had, um, about some unfinished business that they didn't quite finish. And then it goes on uh, to set up the next lifetime in which it just simply continues. You finish any lessons that were left undone. So souls are, what you're saying is, souls are essentially... Beings that live inside us that are self-progressive, like like we are self-progressive beings, like we continue being ourself. Right. I don't know that a soul is a being necessarily. It's to me, it's an essence. It's an energy. It's a, a spark of the of the creative forces that's within us that contains the all the information of all the lifetimes that we have. It's almost like a, a, a depository of of information from the beginning of time that's stored in our in in our soul and we're able to tap into that at any given time. Okay, Joanne, uh and I, I we will get into your book, of course, but uh there are fundamental questions that have to be asked. And there's also something fundamental before that. I neglected to say happy Saint Patrick's Day. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Happy Saint Patrick's yeah, Day. Yeah, so but too bad you're not Irish, jo- Joanne. <laughs> I know, I was gonna change my name to Joanne O. DiMaggio, but O DiMaggio, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> that that might have helped. Well it was looking at the Italian that DiMaggio would mean Omaggio if you translate it correctly, yeah. you know, sort of right. and uh, Ben you have one lonely great great grandfather who came from Ireland and it's well, but, close uh, enough. Oh, well, close enough. Anyway, so anyway, uh, that being said, uh, Joanne, you you have given us a a magnificently simple and accurate rendition of the traditional understanding, as it were, the spiritualist understanding that almost everyone accepts, and it it may very well be be accurate. Okay, we don't happen to think it is, but we're we're strange. We're we're odd. Yeah. Um, let, let me let me just ask a few more fundamental questions before we go any further. Quantum physics, or physics in general, has pretty much uh, eliminated the idea of time as an objective reality. There is no past. There is no future, strictly speaking. It's a function of our consciousness. So there are no past lives. So what, what, what in particularly quantum physics has done is not only blow out of the water scientific materialism, the idea that everything's material and that's all there is, it's also blown out of the water spiritualism. 
What say you? How can there be past lives when there is no past? In the physical plane on the earth, we do operate on a timeline. There isn't any past in, in, in spirit, for sure. There's no future, no present. There is no time in, in, in spirit. But we've created time on this planet. Uh, you know, there, there is definitely a timeline here. Uh, and so if we're measuring our lifetimes on this particular planet, then there is a past, there is a present, there is a future. So, uh, you know, this is a topic that um, has been discussed by scholars and, and uh, writers and others uh, for thousands and thousands of years. And there's a, a lot of uh, data um, that supports the theory of reincarnation. Uh, you know, there's also other theories about, uh, if you really want to get into it, about parallel lives or... Well, that's exactly what we're uh, you know, getting at. Right, yeah. right. Uh, and so most people can't wrap their minds around that, and so we don't really get into that aspect of it when I'm dealing with the average client that comes to see me. Well, that's they, what I was... They, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, they have a sense that there is something going on in their life that they cannot explain. There is no uh, rationale as to why they're feeling the way they're feeling, why they're dealing with a particular issue over and over again, why they have a sense of having been with somebody before or having lived someplace before or having memories of something before or what triggers a particular emotion. Um, and lately I've had a lot of people come to me because of physical conditions, that they have exhausted every avenue, don't understand why they're dealing with this, and they have a sense maybe it's karmic in nature. And so they come and they want to look into the possibility that it actually is from a previous lifetime. So, so for those, those oh, people, we, we, you know, we, um, we have to operate um, pretty much at the level that they understand it. So I leave the, um, the quantum physics and the parallel lives and the idea of strands of souls going into multiple bodies. Um, I leave that to uh, my other colleagues who are much more learned about that than I am. So you you mentioned something interesting. Um, you've had clients clients sorry can't talk. <laughs> uh, you've had clients lately that have been dealing with uh, physical issues. So mm -hmm. if this is a past life thing, mm -hmm. how does that manifest physically? Well, I'll give you an example. I had one woman who came to me and she was covered head to toe with psoriasis, uh, and she didn't seem to be able to do much about it uh, in terms of. Uh, traditional medicine and, and uh, even some alternative therapies. And so she came, she's wondering, where is this coming from? Uh, she had a sense that it might be related to a previous lifetime. So we did a regression. I asked her to go to the life that was most impacting her now, where this was set up. And she went back to a lifetime in the uh, West where she was a call girl and uh, didn't particularly enjoy that uh, career. And when it came time for her death, I asked her, what was the last thing you were thinking as your soul left your body? And she said, I don't want to be touched anymore. I don't like being touched. And so she, in this lifetime, she has a disease in which, uh, or a condition, I would call it, that makes it um, unlikely that very many people are going to want to touch her. Uh, so there's, there's that instance. In my book, I talk about um, uh, a man who uh, went back to a previous life in Pompeii and suffocated there. And uh, in this life, 
uh, he has asthma. We didn't realize it at the time when he came to me that he had asthma. I didn't know that. He didn't come to me for that reason, so we didn't discuss it. But when we were doing the soul writing portion immediately after the regression, I asked, ask your soul if there's anything more it could tell you about that past life that you didn't get in the regression. And he wrote out, asthma, the result of seared lungs. And when he made the connection that the asthma in this life was from the suffocation in that life, the asthma disappeared, and he never had a case of it again. And he had been suffering with that all of his life. So it was the first case of spontaneous healing that I had ever witnessed. I had read about it, and many of my colleagues have experienced that, but I never saw it in my practice in all the years I've been doing this. So there was another example of a physical karma. And there was a story behind that as to why that happened. There's always a story yeah, as to why yeah. it's happened. Yeah, I've heard uh, of that, yeah. Yeah. So that's, those were two examples I could give you that illustrate a physical karma. So if this has to do with the soul transferring into different bodies or whatever, and if it is inherently a spiritual being, then why manifest something physical? For the experience of it. But if it's a physical experience, how does it get transmitted spiritually? That's what I'm getting at here. It, it, because, spiritual, because as spiritual beings, we could not experience... Uh, what you experience when you are in a physical body. So just out of, out of pure curiosity, you know, what would this be like? What would it feel like to have to deal with um, uh, an issue of abandonment? What would it be like to have to, uh, to be poor or to be ill or to have relationship issues? Or what would it be like to uh, be really good at a particular career? Um, so... Uh, so if you think of the earth as uh, originally as a place that spirits came to go on vacation because it's a really pretty planet and we want to kind of hang out here, um, and then we started to get caught up into the, the, the physical, uh, into matter making, that made up the planet, uh, ended up sort of getting stuck here in a way. And so, and there's a whole story of creation that um, Edgar Casey told uh, that I um, that I happen to believe in, but uh, we won't get into that right now. But it's just the fact that to have all those experiences, um, you have to be in a physical body to have them. So that was our choice. And, and the irony of it is that we're all trying to get back to spirit. So it's like a cyclical thing. You know, we're coming here, we're doing all these things here, but our real goal is to go back to source from whence we came. But we have a long time to do that because we have a lot of experiences, a lot of lessons to learn, a lot of issues to deal with while we're in in a physical body. Well, maybe there. Are a few, well, first of all, why don't you explain who Edgar Casey was for anyone who's listening who doesn't know? Edgar Casey is probably the most renowned psychic of the uh, 20th century. Uh, he gave thousands of readings between uh, sometime between the, in the 1920s through the 1940s, um, and he uh, is also considered the father of holistic medicine. Uh, most of the readings that he gave, of the 14,000 readings he gave, I think 12,000 of them were uh, health-related. And uh, he's been proven to be uh, way ahead of his time in terms of the, the remedies that he came up with for various uh, illnesses. And um, the, he, he formed the Association for Research and Enlightenment in 1931, and it continues to this day. It has headquarters in Virginia Beach, Virginia, okay. and, and their regional uh, places all over the country and the world. All right. 
Uh, let me just, I, I always enjoy speaking with people like yourself because uh, for the last 40 years or so, I've always asked regression therapists certain questions that they tell me they haven't been asked before or whatever. Um, one of the things that, well, of course, hypnotism is controversial, but when I started out in the 70s, uh, it was it had fallen out of favor. Actually, it was in favor. Then in the 80s, it went out of favor, you know, and then, then it sort of has been rehabilitated. So you believe that hypnotism in the sense of regression therapy or bringing people back to past lives is accurate, legitimate, it's not a matter of suggestibility, that sort of thing. What's your experience with that? Um, the interesting thing about hypnosis is that it has, uh, if you change its name, it suddenly becomes very acceptable. If you, suddenly, if you suddenly call it guided imagery, then it's okay with everybody. <laughs> yeah, um, we're very, we're very much language-based, aren't we? Yes, yes. And I do remember uh, in the uh, 80s or early 90s when there was a movement on um, mostly, I think it was the um, American Psychological Association or something like that, like that they, they were trying to, uh, anybody that was listed as a certified hypnotherapist was under attack. Uh, I remember like, that. Yeah. Because the psychologists were saying that, oh, you know, we're getting we're getting patients that are coming to us that we have to fix because the psycho, the um, hypnotherapists have screwed them up so badly. Um, it, you know, dealing with with a person's um, subconscious. Uh, I know that is controversial. I've never had a problem with with uh, people, and in terms of the information that they're providing. It is coming uh, through them, through their soul, and they're coming up with stories that when I, when I bring them back out of it and we start talking, I said, would you have actually made that up if I had said to you, hey, come here and make up a past life for me? You know, uh, you pretend, close your eyes, pretend that you're uh, in an altered state of consciousness and, and make something up. And they said, oh, my goodness, no, I never would have made that up. They're actually surprised. Uh, at, at what they say, um, and you know they could wake up at any time. They're, I'm not controlling them. I'm not manipulating them. This is all coming from from them, and they they do question it. Uh, every almost every one of them. Did I make that up? Did I imagine that? Uh, but when there's emotion involved, when when they're getting emotionally uh, uh, responsive to what they're seeing and what they're feeling, uh, you can't make that stuff up. That that is all true. Uh, you know, so um, I think that it's a safe tool. Um, uh, I've never had, in all the years I've been using it, I've never had uh, any issue with it. Uh, it's not like stage hypnosis. They're not going to bark like a dog or, uh, you know, quack like a duck or anything like that. It's simply what it really is is just very deep relaxation. It's, it's having their conscious mind sort of go to sleep and, and having their subconscious come forward. Their body is... is just in this really relaxed, heavy state in the in the chair, and uh, and then they're free. Their mind is free to to explore the depths of of their being. Well, assuming it's legitimate, and uh, most, you know a lot of people believe that it is, including professional medical professionals. Uh, I'm, I'll ask you a question I've asked for, as I, as I say, asked for many years. Uh, regression therapists who are uh, busily regressing people. Have you ever had subjects? Do you always ask subjects like what year it is when they're remembering? I do. Okay. I do. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had someone give you a date in the future? Yes. Okay, or a date you didn't recognize? I've had several people tell me that they gave me combinations of numbers and letters I didn't even recognize as a date, or describe a world that they themselves didn't recognize. So you you are like most and have had that happening. 
Yeah, I, I've had people ask me ahead of time, can you do a progression rather than a regression? And so um, the first time someone asked me that, I said, no, I didn't really want to do that. And then she she kept insisting. And then I thought, well, let's, let's just do this. Let's try this. Let's see what happens. And so I wrote a script to bring her forward. And... Um, and it was uh, it was quite fascinating for both of us. That's only happened, I think, just maybe a handful of times. Uh, and also, I have had people who say they're from another planet or on another planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's happened a couple of times. And um, and I don't dismiss that one either because I have had uh, in the readings when I've read Edgar Casey, he does talked about um, souls that can sojourn on other planets. Um, it's not always on the earth that you're having these um, these other experiences. So, uh, but that doesn't happen very often. It's mostly uh, they're right here on on the earth, and they are they do go back uh, to the past. Now, I have had people who have given me a date that mathematically would be impossible uh, because it would overlap the lifetime that they're having now. Well, that's and, exactly what we believe. They're, right, they're right, right. You have life. to you have One to really life. right. So, um, you know, so you could sit and, and do the math and and say, oh, that, I'll just dismiss it because of that. But I don't, I don't do that um, because it, that is their experience. I'm not going to negate what they're experiencing. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. Here's a quote from your webpage that I found very interesting about regression therapy. Quote, by studying your past lives, you come to realize that over the millennium, I think you mean millennia, this is only a thousand years, um, of your soul's existence, you have been have been all people, all races, all creeds, all nationalities, both men and women. You have experienced every kind of personality imaginable, from saints to sinners, abusers and victims, wise and ignorant, strong and weak, unquote. I thought that was very concise and hard-hitting, because that really sums up, in a way, what we call the unity that one of the problems we have with Western thinking is the ferocious individuality mm-hmm. of the spirituality, of the regression theories, and of everything else. Because, you know, in order to believe in the, the, the most classic sense of uh, past lives, it, in order to believe in ghosts as, as they're conceived of today, in order to believe in all this stuff, you have to be ferociously individual. Every person is an utter, complete island. That is not true theologically, uh, from the viewpoint of physics or anything else. And from this, from this quote, you agree. What say oh. you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if everyone believed in the theory of reincarnation, everyone believed that they had lived before, it would eliminate almost every single problem we have on this planet. Um, I don't know about there, was, there could not be any prejudice. Uh, you couldn't possibly be prejudiced towards somebody that's a different race, knowing that you yourself had been that may have been that race before. Um, you know, a men having, um, you know, men having experienced life in a female body and vice versa, uh, experiencing every, uh, being rich, being poor, being healthy, not being healthy. Um, you're, you're living in a very, um, just, fair, balanced, harmonic universe. And believing in reincarnation makes perfect sense. In that context, I was born and raised Catholic. I always questioned um, uh, ev- almost everything. <laughs> you know, yeah. How could it be only one chance? You mean to tell me if I eat meat on Friday, I'm going to go to hell? Uh, I had a problem what, with that too. <laughs> yeah. What kind of a, what kind of a just God 
how can I possibly do everything that I need to do and learn in, in, in the course of uh, a 70, 80-year-old, 80-year uh, life? Um, so it just didn't make any sense to me. Karma made a lot more sense to me, the law of cause and effect, than sin did. And um, so, you know, from the time I was a teenager starting to read about all of this, uh, reading a lot of Jess Stern and Ruth Montgomery and Edgar Cayce and, and other uh, esoteric and uh, writers at the time, um, th- this started to make a lot more sense to me. And uh, I, it answered a lot of questions. You know, why, why did I choose this particular family that I was born into? What opportunities do I have to grow uh, based on my experiences in this particular family unit? Um, and so it just makes more sense to me than uh, the traditional uh, viewpoint of one person, one life. Well, in each culture, it always struck me that, that we, we do the best we can with what we have. And in the Western mind, we've lost an awful lot, as you, I'm sure, agree, uh, compared with our ancestors as far as a framework of knowledge is concerned. And we, um, we, the best we can do is, again, that maybe this ferocious individualism. And we're really kind of, I don't know, back to square one in some ways. Um, I, I think that the, the, your statement that uh, we couldn't kind of do what we have to do in one life is very interesting because that is precisely what Lorraine Warren told me when I questioned her on reincarnation when I first met her in 1972. Uh, Lorraine, you know, being of Ed and Lorraine Warren, the famous ghost researchers from the, you know, days of yore and the recounted in the Conjuring film that everyone was going to see last summer. But uh, so, so that's very interesting. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see that problem because in the unity, as we call it, you've got all, all the lives being lived right now, and it's all one big you, so to speak. And it's really one big us because the individual sort of fades away and becomes just a point of self-reference. And uh, you've already got all the wisdom. You've already got all the stupidity. You've already got all the mistakes, all the victories, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll come back to that. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be right back with our guest, Joanne DiMaggio. And uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back. Lou Mandeville here to tell you the only place to get your local high school and college scores as well as the Pats, Bruins, Celtics, and Sox is on my morning sports reports. And they are right here on ON 1240, Monday through Friday on the Morning Fun Show. Okay, and welcome back. And I just wanted to tell you about several of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, we certainly uh, encourage you to visit these websites and to find out more about these wonderful charities. One is usacares.org. A wonderful uh, group that does financial, renders financial assistance to veterans and their families, uh, particularly those families of veterans who have been killed uh, since uh, 9-11. And uh, please, please check that out. Also locally, buildershelpingheroes.org. Uh, here in the Rhode Island and southeastern New England area, they literally uh, do renovations and build homes for the families of, of veterans who have been killed and for the, those who have been disabled only here in Burrowville, Rhode Island, in our local listening area. They just uh, presented a house uh, in, co- in cooperation with Homes for Our Troops to a veteran, a Marine Corps veteran of the Afghan War who had lost both his legs and uh, a wonderful thing to have happened to him and is the least people could do, in my opinion. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our brothers to the north, brothers and sisters of the north who have been with us shoulder to shoulder in the war on terror from the beginning. So please support them as well, CanadianVeteransAdvocacy.org. And let me give you our phone numbers again. I always forget to do that. 
we are, let's see, uh, uh, 401-766-1240 in our local listening area. That's the same as our place on the dial. And 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Okay, let's get back to our guest. Ben, did you have a question for Joanne, or should I continue? Uh, oh, yes, I actually did. Thank you for reminding me. Um, <laughs> so you refer to karma quite a bit in the last half hour. We have been uh, talking, actually a little less than half an hour, but that, that's not important. What's important is, so karma, it's a it's a Hindu, Hindu concept of uh, sort of uh, do you do something good, bad, whatever, it eventually comes around to bite you or help you. So getting back to the idea of reincarnation and karma and all that any if you talk to any hindu who's who's from india and um or the indus river valley or whatever like i have several friends who are they say that um reincarnation is bad you don't want to be reincarnated they they view the continuing life of the soul as a bad thing how how would you respond to that oh i don't know what context they would say something like that um I mean, the, the goal is to not reincarnate. That's that's for certain. Um, but only uh, after you've uh, learned everything there is to learn and you've resolved any issues, and uh, and especially where karma is concerned, karma is the law of cause and effect. It's the old reap what you sow. Uh, so that um, every word, every deed, every intention is all recorded. It's all recorded in the Akashic records, and. Uh, to balance everything out so that you, you know, it's like a pendulum. You're not going to stay, you're not, if you swing too far to the left and then you swing too far to the right, you're going to have to come back to center at some time to, to, to remain in harmony. And the universe is a, is a harmonic place to be. So uh, the karma, and karma does not have to be bad. People automatically assume that karma is, can be, is a bad thing, it's something bad that you did. It's not. It could be something quite wonderful. Uh, Talents and abilities that you've acquired, skills uh, you acquire, I, I say that you put them in your karmic bank account, and at a future lifetime you can pull from them. It you know it sort of answers the question about uh, what, prodigies. Why why are some people uh, so very very good at uh, at music, at uh, composing or writing, or uh, they have a natural ability for healing? Um, many, much of that is because they have done that before, and so that's in their positive little bank account that they can pull from any time. So, yeah, the goal is not to come back, and I think that of all the readings that Edgar Casey did, all the life readings that he did on thousands of people, I think that's the number that he, I'm pretty sure it was like he came up with maybe 16 or something like that, where he said they did not have to come back again. So, um, uh, so yeah, that's something we're all aspiring to. Well, I've heard I've heard gurus say that a man can live millions and millions of lives before he eventually reaches samsara. I find that kind of depressing, actually. <laughs> I don't, a lot of work. Yes, it is yes. a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it could be, it could be a lot of joy too. I mean, it's like I said, it's not always bad, and uh, we've got a beautiful planet if we can keep it uh, that we're that we're on, and and there's so many experiences that that we can uh, that we have and people that we have been with before that we are with again. Um, so there's a lot of, of really good, and it explains a lot in terms of, of uh, injustices that, that we encounter. Um, so to me, it's a much more logical view of the way the universe operates. 
All right, let me ask you, uh, well, first of all, let's, before we burn up the hour with, with the questions, it's a fascinating conversation. Uh, tell us about your book, Your Soul Remembers. That's the latest one, Your Soul Remembers, Accessing right. Your Past Lives Through Soul Writing. Tell us about that and where people can get it and where they can find out more about you. Okay, well, um, the book uh, is a sequel to the first book, Soul Writing. Uh, and in this book, I regressed 50 individuals. They were all volunteers. Um, well, they good. Ranged you didn't, you didn't they tie ranged them up age. with duct tape. That's good. Yeah. They ranged in age from 23 to 81, and they included prof- all kinds of professions. I had psychologists and teachers, and I had nurses and uh, business owners, entrepreneurs. And I uh, wanted to prove the point that you could use the soul writing, which, again, is a written form of meditation, to acquire information about your past lives that you did not necessarily need to go to a regression therapist and have a regression, although I realized that that was going to impact my own practice, uh, I wanted to prove the point because I had been able to get information through through writing in an altered state of consciousness. So I wanted to apply it to uh, past lives because I'd already done it, uh, looked into it in, in various other aspects of using, uh, using the soul writing um, to develop psychic abilities, use it in different art forms, use it to explore esoteric philosophies. You could use it for psychoanalysis and healing, uh, find out what your soul's purpose is and, and growth. There was a lot of other ways to use it, but I wanted to focus in on how to use it to acquire past life information. So I took these 50 volunteers. I did a traditional regression with them, uh, instructed their soul to take them to the life that was most impacting them in the here and now, and, uh, and, they, and it did. And none of them went to the lifetime they thought they were going to go to. I had a whole slew of people. I want to go to Atlantis. I know I was in Atlantis. None of them went there. They went to a lifetime that they had absolutely no clue about. At the end of the session, while they were still in an altered state of consciousness, I put a journal on their lap, a pen in their hand, and I said, uh, I brought them up almost almost back to full consciousness. And I said, now ask your soul if there's any additional information it can give you in writing. And so they put the pen on the journal, started writing, and as they were doing the writing, I was doing the writing too. I was using a form of shamanic journeying um, called the companion mode of healing in which I'm, I'm asking my source to give me information about them that I could share with them. So they wrote, I wrote, and what's in the book are 25 of those 50 sessions. The regression itself, the, the um, transcript from the regression, it is their soul writing and it's my soul writing, and it's all intertwined with what other leading past life therapists have, have said about particular aspects of the, the information that they found. So it really was focused more on the writing end of it than the, than the regression part of it. Is the writing um, always in English? It has been. That's very interesting because I've encountered language barriers on a number of occasions over the years with uh, whatever the thing claims to be. That, that's, that's a big question that we have. How do you know the information comes from where it says it comes from? Well, it's coming from you. It's coming from uh, a higher source. Uh, uh, it's, you're channeling it from above through you, coming through your soul, and then out your hand and onto the paper. Um, and well, I always, how do you know that? How do you know that that's where it's coming yeah, from? Yeah, I've seen stuff coming from what folklore calls demons. I don't think that's what they are. Well, it's that's not the, us. Well, yeah, they are us in a way, I suppose. But Well, no, see, that's the difference. When I did my, my um, thesis, 
uh, I did it on inspirational writing based on, on the Casey readings, and he talked a lot about what's the difference between uh, inspired writing, and I ended up calling it soul writing only because it was so many years since Casey used the term that now inspired writing is really a Christian genre type of term. It no longer really means what he said, so I mm-hmm. decided to call it soul writing. But he talks a lot about the difference between inspirational writing and its better-known counterpart, which is automatic writing. And it's the automatic writing that will get you into trouble. That is the, that there is a difference between the two. I hear you, yeah. Mm-hmm. So by higher source, what do you mean? Higher source is a different name for God, or you, you could be your... your um, Angels could be your could be ascended masters. It could be your guides. Uh, uh, just something, some energy at a higher frequency, operating at a higher frequency than you. Uh, uh, you know, some some people think of it as divine energy. Um, it's it's the source of inspiration. It's it's interesting to read uh, about what famous writers, when they and even composers like Mozart, talked about. You know. Where does inspiration come from? And they all struggled with it. They didn't really know how to define it. Uh, as far as the writing is concerned, many of the writers that I've researched, when they wrote their biographies, they would say it's, um, it's, it feels like a rapid interdiction. I don't know, quite know where it's coming from, but I can't keep up with it. And it is at a higher level. It reads completely different than what you write when you're in a, in a conscious state. There is a much more profound level to it there, and you get a perspective that normally you would not get uh, if you were just writing uh, in, a, in a conscious state. And I know the difference because I made my living in advertising and public relations. I know what it's like to write a newsletter or a press release or a brochure when I'm in a conscious state, and I know what it feels like to write uh, other material when I'm in an altered state. So um, it's just a really fascinating study. Uh, that goes back literally thousands of years. Well, it does, but you know, all we're saying is it takes an awful lot of caution should be applied here because we've seen angels tell people to kill people. Yeah, I heard. I heard of a woman who channeled an angel who said it was okay to commit suicide. Told told her client. It was I mean, okay we have a problem suicide. here. I yeah, exactly. I I I'm totally on board with you on that. One of the things with inspirational writing or soul writing is we always say a prayer of protection, and when I do my regressions, I always say a prayer of protection surround uh, us with a, white, a shield of white light, like we're encased in a bubble of white light to keep us protected. Because one of the things Casey said about automatic writing is that, that that was coming from lower level energies, and when you're opening yourself up, you're giving them an in. And, uh, and so sometimes, you know, they're not for your highest and best. Uh, they will command you to do something or compel you to do something, um, you could tell that it's not quite right, that your handwriting will be significantly different. You won't have control of your hand. It will seem to, like, write by itself. Uh, and you'll have no awareness of what you're writing. With soul writing, you, you do have an awareness. It's coming, the information is coming from within you and out on the paper, so you're totally aware. You just consciously watch the writing proceed. Your handwriting is the same, and uh, your soul is being very gently guided. The, uh, the information that you're getting is really uh, meant to be uh, a helpful tool of transformation. It's not telling you, uh, go and do this or go and do that, or you have to do this or you have to do that. And it also doesn't come from uh, the first person. It's not, I compel you, I tell you, listen to me. It's all, you know, 
we are with you in, uh, it's always the plural we, the, the plural, con- the universal consciousness, the, the we are with you always in love and in light. You might get a, uh, a greeting like that, something like that. So there is a definite difference between the two, and I do caution people um, to make sure that they do know that difference. So I have many questions. <laughs> there are many questions that, are, that need to be asked, but we're going to start first with higher frequencies. Now, being an audio person, I am studying audio in school. Sound design and audio post-production is my major. And people throw around the word frequency. Mm-hmm. Now, frequency is the scientific way of saying pitch. The ver- pitch is essentially, pitch or frequency, is essentially the attenuation, actually, that's not the right word, it is compression and rarefaction of uh, compressed airwaves. That's how we get sound, that's how we're talking to each other. Right now, well, not me and you, but my dad and myself. There are sound waves that are coming out of our mouths, specifically airwaves that are being compressed and rarefacted by my by my vocal cords. So that's all well and good. So what I don't get is the term frequency. I don't. I don't not. I'm not quite sure why people use it to describe some sort to describe the unknown. It's human terms like that bother me because there is no way to know the unknowable, but you can know it. But the thing is, human words cannot describe it. So why use the word frequency? Because that is a term that people would understand. Uh, if you when you talk about um, tuning in, you, you'll use an expression like you're going to be tuning in, and you'll talk about you know how there are different frequencies, and if you're on one frequency and I'm on another frequency. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to hear you. Well, you know, you'll have well, to... Well, we must define our terms first. Are you talking about like a radio frequency, or are you talking about the frequency as in the pitch of our voice? No, in this case, the example is a radio frequency. Okay. So, I mean, when, 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 teach, when, uh, when you have a, a metaphysical esoteric teacher who's giving a talk and talking about, uh, brings the subject up, uh, he's going to use terms, he's going to use um, analogies and things like that that the, that the audience will understand. And so the, I have heard on many an occasion uh, a, a speaker talking about uh, picture a radio. You know, you know how radio works, don't you? He'll ask the audience, and it's yes. And so then he'll talk about, well, you know, uh, you, you are at this, you, you're listening at this frequency, you're, you're tuned into this station, or and the other one is tuned into something else, and so you can't really hear each other. And so, uh, you know, either one raises or lowers their frequency so that they're, they're uh, evenly matched that you can communicate. So that's the way they talk about um, higher you know, source of, of uh, spirit, uh, lowering their frequency to be, in, to be able to communicate with us, and we have to raise ours. But I'm not an expert in that field. It's just that that was my understanding. That was an example that people give in order to make that point. That's a better example than I've heard. Now, next question. (laughs) So, soul writing. Yes. I, I don't know why I'm having such trouble understanding. I think it's because... It's, it sounds like the soul is just an entirely separate part of our being, as if it can just detach any time it wants. It, where I'm coming from is that the body, the soul, and the mind, they're all connected. They're all, they're all part of the whole. So if the soul breaks away from this whole being, then I, I'm 
pardon me if I'm just not understanding what what you're putting down, but it's 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 just hard for me to understand that the soul breaks away, runs off somewhere with messages, and comes back, and somehow interacts physically with the person, and writes down a message. No. All right, so I'm not understanding it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, the way, when you are in an, when you're going into an altered state of consciousness, which is just basically you're going into a very deep relaxation, you're going, as you would if you go into a meditative state, your soul's not leaving your body, your soul's staying with you, Um, but your, your body is pretty much asleep, but your, your mind is awake and alert. And so you sort of set the stage for yourself. Uh, you find a sacred space, create your own writing space wherever you want to go where it's quiet and private, and uh, you set the stage. You might want to surround yourself with, uh, with things that might remind you of your spiritual journey. Uh, you know, focus on your ideal. Do it at the same time. Uh, say a prayer of protection. Put the pen down and ask a question. It's, it's like a... Um, I, I like to think of it as your phone home card. Like when your soul was leaving um, uh, spirit to come into your body, when you were planning, you're planning your next lifetime, and your soul had just worked with uh, a council to decide uh, what classes you were going to take here on, in, in Earth School. Um, as your soul left, uh, you know, it got in its little book bag was a little phone home card that said, if you get into trouble you can contact us anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just tune in, ask for guidance, and guidance will be given to you. So it's like a spiritual GPS system. It takes you back home. It takes you back to source. It enables you to ask for guidance on a much higher level than you would get um, from your fellow human beings. So um, for, for Catholics who believe in guardian angels, it's, it's just talking to your guardian angel. Uh, asking you know some of those really hard pressed questions that um, that your soul yearns that you you as a as a spiritual being uh, uh, yearn to know so people can ask anything they want in that state um, and uh, you know that's why I was mentioning earlier that some great books have been written that way Jonathan Livingston Seagull huh. was, was Richard Box will be our guest in a few weeks yeah Course in Miracles uh, same thing. Um, she said that was her introduction to the voice. She didn't know where it was coming from, but it said, this is A Course in Miracles, please take notes. And out of that came that book. Um, uh, you know, uh, Kipling and um, uh, Yeats, and uh, I just there's just a whole slew of, of uh, writers. Mozart said, from whence, it com- uh, from whence it come, I do not know. I don't know where this is coming from. You know, Beethoven is in a, is falling asleep in a carriage and, and, this uh, a, a tune, some information is coming to him about about something, uh, the music that he's going to be writing. So it's it's just really going into that altered state of consciousness and allowing uh, that guidance to come in from from that higher source through you and out your hand and onto the paper. All right, uh, Joanne, you you've mentioned something twice that really kind of struck me. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned many things that have struck me. The uh, the whole idea of um, using terms that people understand right. that says to me 
we're kind of using the lowest common denominator here, and maybe we should try to improve people's understanding, at least insofar as we understand it ourselves. So I, I don't find that really a satisfying approach to use terms like frequency or, or whatever, or past lives as opposed to parallel lives. I mean, I think there are certain critical distinctions that ought to be made, and, and people shouldn't... Um, Maybe maybe we should give people a little more credit for maybe understanding. I mean, you know, do you have any? You know, do you know what I'm getting at here? I, I mean, absolutely know what you're talking about because there are many a time when I'm in a uh, a conference somewhere and I'm listening to a speaker um, and I'm thinking, oh, this is like metaphysics 101. I don't really, uh, you know, need to. I, I want something deeper. I want something higher. I want to expand my consciousness. I want to. Uh, look at it from a whole different perspective. Um, when I give a talk, I do have to think about the least common denominator. I don't want to lose anybody. And for some people, it's, this is all brand new material. And they're like little sponges. They just want to absorb as much as they can. So the challenge, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I think, I think you bring up a very, very good point. Uh, the challenge for those of us that are uh, pr- uh, putting this information out there is, you know, how do we... How do we couch it? What, how do we, what words can we use? And are there enough words in the English language to sufficiently describe what these processes are like? That's a good uh, point. Yeah. So, um, because sometimes there, there are no words. It's an experience. It's more an experiential uh, sense of it, a, a sense of knowing on some deep level that you just simply cannot articulate. So we struggle with that. Writers, teachers, everyone struggles with how do I how do I paint this picture for you so that you can see how beautiful it is and and you'll understand it better? So um, that's certainly a challenge that I think all of us should should be aware of and and something to strive for. I, I definitely will. Well, we, we try. We're in front of an audience, and we've spoken in Europe and America, all over America. We, we throw it right at them. We don't pull any punches. We say maybe we're wrong, but this is what we think. And we can't get rid of them. We've had venues <laughs> had to throw us out because people say, no, not everybody. There are always a few who, I guess, the, the question marks appear over there and they just leave. But most, the eyes widen, the jaws drop, and they, mm-hmm. we can't get rid of them. Right. So anyway, that, that's, but we're, you know, we're usually speaking on a different subject. Speaking of the different subject, how much time do we have? We have? No. Uh, okay. I wanted to get this question in because it's, uh, as an old creaky ghost researcher myself, having started out many years ago, uh, one of the questions that always arose for me was that th- I would encounter situations where, where quote-unquote, ghosts, which I don't believe in in the classical sense, but were ha- the same ones were haunting different places at the same time, or living people were seeing themselves, things like things that just didn't fit the standard 19th century line, two-dimensional thinking of spiritualism, in, in my opinion. Uh, so the question is... Um, you know what, uh, what? Why are there so many "quote unquote" ghosts if people are reincarnated? Well, I think that's the choice that people make in terms of whether they're going to come back in a physical body or not. The ghosts are stuck for some reason; they're, they have not moved on. I, fi- I find that they're just living lives in parallel worlds. They don't, half the time, they don't even know we're there. <laughs> Depending on our point of view, if we go in with the 19th century point of view, they're going to look like. Their unfinished business, or stuff. but if you look, if you stay around and look into it, and at times communicate something I don't recommend, but it can happen. It's entirely different than what we think it is. At least that's 
Maybe I'm entirely different than what I should be. I don't know, but that's my experience. And people look at me, but I said, you know, if you stick around, we we work on cases for years, and you wouldn't believe the things you run into. Well, I would believe almost anything. Yeah, well, okay, okay, well, you've seen it. <laughs> but, seen uh, lot, well, yeah. we'll leave that, be that okay. as it may. Um, and the, the other question here, uh, there are reasons why, I think, from if you, if you look from the viewpoint of evolution, why we are the way we are. Mm-hmm. There are reasons why our minds have evolved the way they have. And I'm wondering, you know, what is the reason that we do not, in, as a matter of course, remember as you would say, past lives, or as we would say, simultaneous lives, or whatever. And when we do, we're often diagnosed as schizophrenic. Exactly. Or we're considered holy, depending on the culture. That's true. You know, That's why is evolution, if you believe in that as it's presented, why has evolution set us up not to believe, not to remember? I think that if, uh, if you were to remember every single one of your past lives, I think you would be on major overload. I, don't, I think it also would stop you from doing what it is you're here to do now. Uh, and I know that there are some people that they're like past life junkies. They just can't get enough. They have to go uh, regression after regression. After, and I generally only do one regression on a person. I don't have them come multiple times. Uh, they have things to work on, and then if they finish working on them, they want to come back, we can come back. But I, I think even Shirley McLean had gotten into that where she got cut off at one point because, uh, you know, uh, uh, wanting to go back and... and one lifetime after the other, after the other, after the other, uh, galloping through uh, history uh, to find out all, all the different people that you are. Um, you come into this, in my belief, you come into this world, into this body, with specific work to do, specific lessons to work on, specific karma to work on. You cannot possibly do all of it at one time. There's too much. So you choose. You know, I'm going to work on an issue of responsibility in this lifetime or I'm going to work on an issue of acceptance and approval in this lifetime. And then the life is designed to enable you to do just that. Joanne, I'm afraid we're just out of time. Uh, But but thank you for a very interesting conversation, and there it is. So uh, thank you again, and we'll be in touch off the air. Indeed. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Bye. And take it away. I will. So on Saturday, uh, April 26th, my dad and I will be uh, speaking about poltergeists and my dad's experience with them. And this will be at the uh, New England Parafest at the uh, Crown Plaza in Nashua, New Hampshire. And there will also be some other great speakers on several paranormal subjects, including cryptozoology legend, uh, cryptozoological legend, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Lauren Coleman and the paranormal researcher uh, Tom D'Agostino as well, guest on our show. A number of times, and we will raffle off two tickets to this event on April seventh, which is uh, on which on that show. Yeah, that is a ninety dollar value right there. And to enter, just email your name and phone number to paulatbehindtheparanormal dot com, or send it uh, via snail mail to the uh, behind the paranormal doc, or sorry care of W O N twelve forty A M nine eighty five Park Avenue in Socket, Rhode Island o two eight nine five. You can fill out. Uh, or you can find out more about the event at EssexCountyGhostProject.org. You can visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where there are over 550 free podcasts of all of our past shows from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Also check out our site at www.NewEnglandGhosts.com, where there are our case studies and photos, along with articles by my dad. 
And uh, next Monday, March 24th, right here on ON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, we will welcome back our good friend Robert Schroeder, aeronautical engineer and UFO researcher, to discuss the ongoing 2013-2014 global UFO flap. Bet you didn't even know that was going on. So get your questions to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or just plan to call in. So we'll leave you this evening with a thought from last week's guest, Dr. Amit Goswami. If ordinary people really knew that consciousness and not matter is the link that connects us with each other in the world, then their views about war and peace, environmental pollution, social justice, religious values, and all other human endeavors would change radically. Okay, I don't think we have any time for any more. So we I'm do Paul, not. <laughs> I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.